You know, when we come together, I know as a child, I heard the, I heard the um, sermons that said the reason we come together, and Jeremy kind of mentioned this, is for the Lord's Supper, scriptures that were used for that. But then as I sat there, it seemed like we spent more time on the sermon, and so I felt like that was the main reason in practicality that we came together. Uh, as I've gotten older and thought about it, I think it's a more holistic approach. There's not one reason we come together in, uh, in these events. I think we come together to encourage each other, to edify each other, to strengthen each other, all the time focusing on the Lord. And we do that through songs and through the Lord's Supper, through lessons, through our prayers, and so on. And so, uh, as I was struggling with my lesson this week, I knew it was going to be too long, all right? And as I went over it this morning, I decided what I should maybe, you know, adjust. And then as I listened to Jeremy's sermon... (laughs) <laughs> Which I'm not, I'm not, you know, I would never, uh, I'm not, that's not a put down. I don't want to get in a fight with Jeremy, but anyway, it, it really isn't, it really isn't. Um, I, I had to think some more, okay, and, and especially with the four, the four uh, baptisms afterwards, I don't want to go over so much that people run away uh, for these baptisms. So, guys up top, go ahead and turn on that first screen. We'll see how good you are, okay? We're gonna we're gonna move around, and we're not. And I'm gonna save I'm gonna save this a lot of it for next week because it's too good to rush. It's too good to go through so fast, and I don't want to hurry through it. And I don't want to uh, I don't want you to be sitting so long that you wish I would hurry through it. And so we're going to just take a, we're going to really introduce this lesson and finish it up next week. That's the wrong slide. (laughs) That's last week. The introduction all looks the same. I said I'm going to see how good they are. (laughs) Started off wrong, didn't they? That was a strike one. All right. All right. Walking in the light. Facing up to reality is what we're going to be looking at. Um, I want you, I want you to understand as we, as I come into this book of First John, that I'm on a journey with you. Uh, I'm sharing with you as I'm studying. These are not previous lessons that I've done in the past, and I'm, you know, just pulling them out of the file. But I'm studying this book, and as I go along, I'm sharing with you, and I'm sharing with you what I'm learning, and so. Because many of you are such good listeners, uh, you have raised a lot of questions. Uh, they're legitimate questions. They're great questions. They've made me scratch my head and think about it. And I appreciate the emails that I've received and the, the talks that I've had with you. Many of you are reading ahead and saying things, Well, if what you have been saying in these first few verses are true, then what about these things later on that he says in chapter 2, chapter 3, and so on? And it seems to be a conflict, or maybe it's not a conflict, but there's some kind of disconnect. Okay, if you're saying this, then what about this? Let me give you an example. 
As we've looked at these first few verses, I've talked about walking in darkness and what that means. And what I've tried to explain, what I believe this means, is walking in darkness is when I'm living my life, where I, and this is talking to Christians, not non-Christians, I'm living my life where I'm trying to live up to a certain standard. I'm trying to hold on to my past sins. I talk to a lot of people who are hanging on to their past sins as Christians. I'm not talking about non-Christians, I'm talking about Christians. And... In doing that, and then you say, well, what about John's later on when he says something like this? Whoever hates his brother is still in darkness. And it seems that, all right, you're saying that if we hang on to our, do we do things? Do we not do things? And that's a good question. I'm glad you're thinking. I wanted to kind of explain the way John is writing this. And that, 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 that's helped me. Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, is a very linear thinker. All right? I have a little slide here, I think. There it is. And this is the best way I could, I could do it. If you don't know how to outline something, then you, this may not make sense to you. But when you outline a lesson, you outline a, a book, you outline a, 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 some scriptures, you have point one, and then under point one, major point A, are we, most of you went to school on this, point one, two, and three, major point B, so on, therefore, see conclusion. And that's the way Paul thinks. I mean, you can look at it, and if you can read it, it's very logical, very step-by-step. He was a trained, uh, you know, by Gamaliel. He thought very logically. Then we go to John, and it's just not that way. It's hard to outline it. He is more of a circular thinker. That's what people have described him. I've heard it described as a symphony where each part builds on the preceding part. And I think this is what John is doing. In these first, uh, first chapter and part of the second chapter, I think also, he's laying some foundational thoughts. He says, this is what I'm going to talk about. This is the foundation of what I'm sharing with you. And then he expands that in the second section. And, you know, further builds on that. And then in the last section of the book, I think there's three parts, he further expands that. And so if you read through, if you'll take your time to read through First John, you'll, you'll keep seeing this, you'll see a reputation, a repetition. And this repetition will be something like, well, why is he saying this again? Uh, my first reading, to be blunt, to be honest, I almost felt like, and I'm not putting down old men because I'm approaching that, but an old man who keeps repeating himself. You know, just, I mean, it's like, okay, you've said that again. Well, what, you know? And it's just a, a, repeti- a repetition, I can't say it, repetition of what he's been said. But what he's doing is he, he's expanding on it. He's building on it. He's, he's, uh, he's, exploring, he's exploring what he's, he's uh, uh, stated at the beginning. He's not stating that walking in darkness is limited to certain things in chapter 1. He expands on these opening verses. And he says you can't claim to be walking in the light and yet ignore what he says, ignore his commands. Chapter 2, verse 4. That would be an expansion of what he's saying right now. One can't be claimed to be a light walker and yet hate because hate is the antithesis, it's the opposite of love, which is a part of walking in the light, which he'll explain later. He'll go on and expand on that. Walking in the light does include doing some things. And not doing some things. And that's one of the questions that has been brought up to me. Well, do we do things or not do things? 
Yes, walking in the light includes doing some things and not doing some things, but it doesn't start there and it doesn't finish there. As I will repeat over and over, it starts with God and it ends with God. We're in the middle because God's initiation and because God is going to finish everything. He is the first, he is the last, and everything in between. And in the middle, we are doing some things and not doing some things. But we don't do and not do things in order to be approved by God, to be accepted as living up to his standards, because we can never do it. We do that because it's a response to what God has done for us in Christ. My doing... It's when I look at what God has done for me and I say, what can I just I have to have a response here. There must be something I can do, not in order to be saved, not in order to stay saved, but in order to express my love for what God has done for me. And so be patient with me as we inch along through this book. I'm I'm going to attempt to tie it all together. Uh, I hope I'll get it. I hope I won't get into a tangled mess. But I hope that I will be able to tie it up in a nice, nice package and you can see what I'm what we're saying, what the whole book is saying. Now, on our last lesson, we looked at verse seven, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And if we it's the language is simple. The thoughts are deep. The implications to that are beyond what I can explain. They're astonishing. They're wonderful. This, what I think he is saying here is that we live our life open to my utter need for God. There's no pretense that I don't need or I can do it myself. There's, there's no pretense that I can do anything or earn or merit my salvation. And I think most of us will agree with that. But we... We struggle with earning and meriting our saved state. Most Christians will say, yes, coming to God, being saved, I can't earn that. But once we're in that relationship with him, we fall back into our worldly thinking of, but what do I need to do in order to stay, stay saved? As if, oh, I can't, I, can't, I can't do anything to be saved, but once I am saved, there is something I do to earn my continued salvation. That's not true. That's not, not, that's not what this, this passage is saying. It starts, this, this starts my fellowship with God. It starts my fellowship with you. And the impossible is realized in this. The impossible, my sins are taken away. And my sins are continually taken away. That's what the scripture says here. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies, continually purifies all sin. It's amazing. I think that's so amazing that we, we, we almost react to it and say it just can't be. It just can't be true. Now, I can understand how God can forgive you of your sins and wash you and purify you. But me, what about me? An example, you know, while well, I was thinking this, you know, all other religions that I know of teach you have to continually do something in order to to um, appease God. You have to continually bring a sacrifice. You have to continually do something in order to make sure you're right with God. 
And this passage is telling us Jesus did, did it all for us. We've seen it. Jesus did it all. And then we don't believe it. It's like your physical body. I looked this up, doctors, if you want to disagree with me. But I actually looked this one up. We have blood flowing through our system. You know how, how long it takes for your blood to make a complete circle through your body? Any doctor want to? One minute. One minute. And as that blood circulates through your body, it's doing two things. It's nourishing your body, but it's purifying your body at the same time. It goes to every cell. It purifies. It feeds and purifies. In a similar way, this is the blood of Jesus continually feeding and continually purifying us of our, of our every sin. And then he says this, and this is a question that was brought to me, as he is in the light. What does that mean? We are to uh, walk in the light as he is in the light. We had at least one person notice that I didn't mention that last week. He, I think, I believe, refers to God. God is light and he is in the light. Both metaphors apply. He is the sun and he's the rays of the sun. He's the light of the sun in, in himself and in his, his son, Jesus. It does not mean we live in perfection as God is perfect, but to continually walk or live in the light, live in the life-giving light, live in this revealing light of God, and in this light we are healed, we are purified, in this light, we constantly look to ourselves and see how much we need Him. The light reveals our need for Him. It's in this light that we acknowledge our sinfulness. We acknowledge His gratefulness, graciousness. You know, as the light shines on me, I see my sinfulness. As the light shines, shines on me, I see His graciousness. It is in this light that I learn how to grow in that light. Now, if we look at it from the opposite, if we live in darkness, which I'm saying is not admitting that we need him, we can't be purified from every sin. If we deny we have sin, how can we be purified from it? If we deny that we don't need him, how can we rely on him? If we deny we have a sinful state, we can't be thankful for his grace. We won't see where and how we need to grow in maturing Christ. When we're in the darkness... Not seeing my need for him, it shuts all that down. I can't be thankful to him if I don't see my need for him. I can't rely on him if I don't see my need for him. And so darkness is just turning inward, turning to myself, becoming me focused and thinking, well, what can I do here instead of what God has done for me? The more we realize how and in what manner we need him, the more we will imitate God. You know we're to imitate God? Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, imitate God. And what happens is I view Him as I see Him. In contrast to me, I'm brought to Him. I'm drawn to Him. I become more like Him. We grow up into Him who is the head. Ephesians 4 verse 15. We, just, we, we look to Him. We're drawn to Him like a plant is drawn to light. And we grow up into Him. There are two interesting descriptions I received. Last week, one said this, I didn't know, this is two weeks ago actually, I didn't know that I had been walking in the light with a paper bag over my head. I thought it was interesting. I didn't know that I was walking in the light. This person said, I was walking in the light, but I've had a paper bag over my head. I've just been partially blind as I walk, through this, as I walk in the light. Another email said, I'm a closet darkness walker. Yeah. 
I think both are dealing with, like the rest of us, how do we walk in the pure light of God? This unapproachable light, as the Bible describes it. And I think it leaves us stunned. It leaves us with these questions. But if that's true, how, how can I even stand before a holy God? One commentator said, every Christian walks in darkness to some extent. I maintain that walk in darkness isn't particular sins as much as it is recognizing sin in my life. And I think to a certain degree, most Christians forget or don't realize the sinfulness of their own lives and their need for God. We almost get to a point as we mature in faith that we say, you know, I got it together now. And when we get to that point, that's when we're walking in darkness. I will forever need God. I will forever need to rely on Him. I can never do it on my own. I do and I don't do, but not because I can do it on my own. I do and not do imperfectly, relying on the grace of God the whole time. I'm going to give you my outline of verses 5 through 10. And I'm, I'm titling this whole thing, Facing Up to Reality, the Reality of God. And then I'm going to read a paraphrase. And uh, Well, I'm going to read the scripture and then read the, and then read the paraphrase and save the rest for next week. Let me begin by just reading verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our life. Here's, here's the way I outline each of these verses. Number one, we look at the reality of God. This is who God is. This is real. God is light. Boom. That's it. And whatever that means, that's real. Number two, the reality of truth. And he says this in the opposite way. He says you can't walk in darkness and live by the truth. So he says there's, there's truth. There's objective truth. And if you paid any attention in the last week, Supreme Court... They, they redefine uh, words. That doesn't really mean that. that in other words, everything's objective, uh, subjective. Objective truth. Is there objective truth? And the Bible says yes. The reality in verse 7, seven of fellowship with God. It's sins exposed. This is, this is the reality of fellowship with God. Your sins are exposed and they're purified. We've covered those three. If you're visiting, you want to get the... See these? Listen to those. Catch up with that. That's fine. Now we're going to look at verse 8, 9, and 10 next week. But this is what we're going to be looking at. The reality of the marred human condition. We all live in a condition of sin. This is the marred human condition. This is not what the world believes. The world believes people are basically born good. The Bible teaches people are basically bad. All right, we'll look at that more if you disagree next week. The reality of God's view of my sin. How does God view you then? If that's our condition, how does God view you? 
And most people believe that God is angry with you. He is upset. He's about to throw you into hell or to send a, uh, some kind of punishment to you. And you're just waiting for the hammer to come down. Well, we're going to look and see what he says in verse 9 later on. The reality of sin in verse 10, of sins and the revelation of his word in our lives. And we'll explain each one of those later. Let's skip to the end there, guys. We'll just read the, uh, the uh, paraphrase that will kind of sum it up. And then next week we'll try and tackle those three points. This is the news. The good news we heard and saw in the life of Jesus. That's what Jeremy was talking about. He is the complete and true revelation of what real life is. Now we ring out this declaration that he, with all authority, commissioned us to proclaim. This is what he asked us to proclaim. Yes, amen. God is light. <laughs> In him, there is not the slightest speck of darkness. Now each of these ifs were suppositional ifs. Now suppose... We tell everyone that we have a partnership, a communion, and a relationship with God who is light. And yet, we live our lives covering up and hiding, keeping out what God's purity and holiness exposes in our lives. Well, we are lying to ourselves and do not live in the open and revealing light of God. But if we live our lives in open exposure... Of God's light, his glorious light that penetrates and shows us who we are. That partnership, communion and relationship with God exists. And the blood of Jesus, his son, continually whitewashes and cleanses and takes away absolutely all sins in our lives. Now, suppose we say our human nature is not marred by sin. Say that, and your life is going down the wrong path. And you won't have a clue where or who you are. You're not living a life in the open and revealing life of God, light of God. But the ones who acknowledge their sins, and who say the same thing about their sins as God says about their sins, and He makes that clear, that clear as day at noon. They will discover that he is true to his word and will not double charge those sins to your account. He will release and let go. He will let our sins go and will completely erase every stain of sin which had placed you in a wrong relationship with him. Suppose even further, we look back on our lives and we say, I really haven't done anything that bad. I'm a pretty good person. Say that, and you're saying, God, you're a liar. Then his true word that reveals who you are and gives your life direction and purpose and clarity and confidence will not be a daily reality. But instead, you'll stumble through life as if what he told you is not true. All right, that's the teaser for next week. Is that okay? Go ahead and read those verses again. I'm excited about... Those, these, three, these three last verses, I wanted to cram them in. Who knows? We'll see how it goes next week. We are saved by a gracious God. More gracious than we really recognize. Sometimes we get the light a little bit and we start realizing 
Yeah, God is love. God is gracious. God does love me. And we turn in on ourselves and become me-centered again and say, well, I just, I, I just I keep messing up. Yeah, that's right. And that's what John is saying. You keep messing up. That's why you keep needing him. You, you're, you're struggle with sin. That's why you need him. And that's why we need each other. And that's why we're going to go and baptize four people who are going to come into a saving relationship with Christ in just a few minutes. And we're going to rejoice with them and, their, and bring them into our family. Their sins are going to be washed away. And from this point on, they're going to be walking in the light of God, having their sins continually purified from, from, from sins.